This is your morning wake-up call on Sports Country. Grab a cup of coffee and hang with us every weekday morning for the latest news, sports, and other things going on around the world and in your backyard. Now, here's your host, Gene Gums. Good morning, everybody. Six minutes past nine o'clock here in Western North Carolina. Welcome to a Friday morning wake-up call on Sports Country Radio, the 15th day of September, 2023. And uh, did not uh, plan on my day starting like this um, when when I was thinking about my show for Friday, but uh, the Boston Red Sox... Fired Heimblum yesterday. Um, I guess it's, I mean, it's not a surprise. I kind of expected it to happen. And let me just start by saying, uh, you know, as much as I was disappointed in the Red Sox season and as much as I felt like they needed to make a change, I wasn't rooting for some guy to lose his job. Right, we, We've all had jobs in our lives that we've lost jobs. You don't root for that, right? He still, you know human being and by all accounts he is one of the uh, most decent people you'll meet really nice guy uh but uh, there had to be a change um there's no question about that there you know look he did a great job rebuilding that farm system no question about that um you have to take your hat off to the fact that when he took over the red sox had one of the worst farm systems in baseball. And now they're probably, you know, top 10. You know, I guess it depends on who you talk to. Um, so, but that part is great, you know. And But what I said yesterday um, when I was chatting with some folks and, you know, a couple of, you know, some of our listeners and uh, it was interesting to get their take and, uh, there's some that think that Alex Cora may be on the way out. I hope that's not the case. But but what I said yesterday um, uh, to some folks is, yes, he made some uh, great moves, uh, great draft picks, getting that farm system rebuilt. Uh, by the way, let's you know let's also calm down about you know some of these young kids that are up now. They weren't signed by him, right? Uh, Jaron Duran wasn't signed by him. Sedan Raffaella was signed as a teenager by Dave Dombrowski when he was the general manager. So let's not give him credit for that. Uh, but there are some of these guys like Marcelo Meyer, uh, you know, those kind of guys, that's all Heim Bloom, and, and they've got some great talent down there. The problem was is he made some absolutely horrendous decisions with the major league team. And if he makes better decisions with – the, the big club, we may not be having this conversation. You know, the, the fact that, uh, you know, he, he did some work on rebuilding that bullpen, which was great, but did absolutely nothing. As a matter of fact, you can make the case that the pitching staff is way worse this year than it was last year. You let Nate Evaldi walk to Texas. 
You let Michael Walker, who had like 14 wins last year and was great for the Red Sox, you let him just go. I mean, he hadn't signed all spring, and you let him go to to San Diego. You could have signed him. You, instead, you decided to give $10 million to a washed-up Corey Kluber. And that's really all you did. And other than deciding that Tanner Houck and, and uh, Garrett Whitlock were now going to be starters. And, and you know, you rolled the dice. Um, and it didn't work out. You know, you decided to not sign Xander Bogarts and let him walk to San Diego and put Kike Hernandez at shortstop. And one of the reasons why the Red Sox had some of the worst defense in baseball is because Kike Hernandez was at shortstop. We already knew you had an issue with Devers, but you're not moving him. You know, I, I'll give him credit for signing Yoshida, but there were this team was flawed from the get-go, especially the starting pitching staff. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. Um, however, is he the only one to blame here? No, absolutely not. You, I, as far as I'm concerned, you know, and Sam Kennedy in his press conference yesterday, you know, you know, shouldered some of the blame and, you know, but here at the end of the day, ladies and gentlemen, this sits at the feet of John Henry, the principal owner. We don't know this for sure, but, you know, my guess is and everybody's assumption is when Heimblum was hired, the first order of business they told him is, look, we're not going to re-sign Mookie Betts. You need to get what you can for him. So he was handed, you know, as soon as he got there, getting rid of a franchise player, a generational player, a guy who may win the MVP in the National League this year, a guy who should still be in a Boston uniform. Because the Red Sox decided they needed to save money. And their payroll, I think, this year is ninth or tenth highest in baseball. Because they needed, they wanted to get back under the uh, the luxury tax threshold. And so they handed him this, this crap sandwich and said, you got to get rid of Mookie Betts. Now, whether they also said you cannot re-sign both Bogarts and Devers, we don't know. My assumption is that's exactly what they told him. So that's why Xander Bogarts is not there. Although, you know, if, if, if it's to be believed, if you, if you remember the whole time when, when Bogarts was being courted by other teams, Bloom was shocked that he went to San Diego. You know, if if that's you know if that's the truth, you know, then that's a that, that's a problem, uh, and that means that it's not at John Henry's feet. But the fact that the payroll is as low as it is, and yet you kept having him and Sam Henry, uh, Sam Kennedy say, "Well, no, it's not. We're not worried about the budget." Well, I, yeah, I'm not buying that because if you weren't worried about it, Nate Evaldi would still be here, Michael Walker would still be here, uh, Bogarts would still be here, and we'd be having a completely different conversation about this season. You know, and a lot of people want to bring up the fact that, you know, John Henry keeps, you know, buying more things. You know, he bought the Penguins. He's got the Liverpool team. He's buying uh, the, uh, I can't remember, but it's the local regional sports network in Pittsburgh. He's buying the Pittsburgh equivalent of Nesson as well. 
he bought a team in Tiger Woods uh, and Rory McIlroy's new golf league. I mean, he's he's spending money. It's you know, and they have Roush Fenway Racing. You know, so it's not like John Henry's hurting for money, right? So you have to lay a lot of the blame for this on John Henry's doorstep as well. One of the things that was said yesterday, though, about um, Heimblum was that, yes, he was a great baseball mind, but what he wasn't is a great baseball executive because he couldn't pull the trigger. He did too much agonizing. He wasn't able to just make a decision and ride with it. It he he took too long. He wasn't a great leader. He's a great baseball mind, not a great leader. And he's a hell of a nice guy, but not a great leader. Um, and I could see that. I could absolutely see that. Um, I hope Alex Cora doesn't lose his job. I think Alex Cora, to be honest with you, you know, despite the fact I have issues with Alex Cora with the way he handles the bullpen, I think that he uh, pulls the trigger way too quickly. You know, doesn't let guys. Uh, I was talking to uh, Dave Massey, uh, former college uh, uh, friend of mine who uh, who listens to the show, and 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 Dave said, you know, he never lets guys work out of trouble. The first sign of trouble, he's got the hook out. Yesterday was an exception, by the way. I don't know that I have ever seen him do this, except maybe one time with Chris Sale. But he came out, and I'm telling you, he was taking Tanner Houck out of that game yesterday. The Yankees had runners on first and third, one out. Red Sox were up 2 nothing. The game was, like, on the line right there, and he decided – after going to the mound with Tanner Houck having thrown 100 pitches to leave him in, and what did Tanner Houck do? Got a pop-up, ground back, ground out back to the pitcher, got out of it. He actually let a guy get out of trouble. So, uh, so I and I think that he has done a hell of a job trying to mix and match uh, lineups. Baseball, you know, the, 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 the defense trying to do the best he can with what he has been given. And I think he's great with the young kids. I think with the, you know, with Rafaela being up there, with Abreu being up there, uh, with all, you know, uh, look how he has helped Rafi Devers uh, blossom. I think that he is the perfect guy. Uh, Jaron Duran, when he came back after – uh, uh, you know, the injury and had the mental health issues. Alex Cora was there to take care of him. When Garrett Whitlock came back because his young brother had drowned in Georgia in, a, in an accident, when he came back out of the field, Alex Cora wrapped him in a hug, and it wasn't like a bro hug. He gave the guy a hug and held it. That's the guy I think that the Red Sox need. I don't think Alex Cora should be going anywhere. You know, and I saw, you know, well, maybe they'll make Alex Cora the GM. You know, make it like a Brad Stevens thing who went from the bench to the uh, the front office for the Celtics. I don't think so. I think Alex Cora is right where he needs to be. And with these young kids coming, I think he's the right guy to lead it. Now we'll see what the Red Sox want to do about the GM. It, 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 this absolutely had to happen. And I, I Pete Abraham had an article in the Boston Globe a couple days ago and said, hey, the Red Sox need to make a decision. If they're going to let 
uh, Heimblum go, do it. Don't let this drag out. And I'm not saying they listened to Pete Abraham, but that's exactly what they did Thursday morning. So uh, I'm sorry, you know, I feel badly for Heimblum that he's out of a job, although he was well paid. It's not like he's going to be on the bread line. But changes had to be made. You know, and you thank him for what he did for building up this farm system. You know, but now you got to turn it over to somebody that's willing to make some tough decisions. You've got to lay it on. John Henry, I think, uh, has got to open up the purse strings. Purse strings. I don't think that's going to be an issue. I think John Henry's probably sick and tired of being raked over the coals as well. Uh, and, and I think we're going to see. Maybe not next year, but it could be because with free agency, you can make a splash in a hurry. The problem with the Red Sox is when you look at the free agent market for next year, it ain't great. There's not a lot of names out there that make you go, oh, you know, I mean, unless, you, unless you're talking Shohei Otani, who's actually, you know, injured, can't pitch. Uh, so you're getting a hitter. He's a good hitter. But, but, you know, unless you're talking about him, there's not a lot out there, which means some of these young kids – that they built up that farm system with might have to be chips to bring other players into Boston via a trade. Maybe a guy like Dylan Cease from Chicago, something like that, you know, and they've done that, but that's how they got Chris Sale, right? And that's, Yohan Moncada ended up over there and Michael Kopech ended up over there. And, you know, with Sale's injuries, you know, but, but he got him a World Series, right? And, and he pitched well until the injuries started piling up, but he's a guy who had been durable his whole career. Kopech and Mankata have been nothing for Chicago when you come right down to it. So the Red Sox won that trade despite the sale injuries. But now it might be time to do another thing like that to bring the pieces that the Red Sox need to Boston. Uh, and and obviously they felt that Bloom was not the guy to do it, and I think he proved that uh, with his uh, the way that he went about building the team uh, in 2023. It is 19 minutes past the hour. We're going to take a break. When we come back, Dan Zampano going to join us. Uh, we taped the interview yesterday just uh, uh, because Dan had a commitment this morning. So we taped the interview yesterday, but we've got that coming up uh, right after this break. You're listening to The Wake Up Call on Sports Country. Welcome back to The Wake Up Call. And as we are every Friday, we are pleased to be joined by Dan Zampano, our NFL expert. And uh, we're taping this on Thursday, so we're not going to talk about the Thursday night game, Minnesota at Philly, but Dan's got a commitment on Friday. So we're taping it here on uh, Thursday night. Uh, Dan, a four and three week, not bad. And uh, a couple of the picks, uh, uh, the, the one that surprised me the most, uh, and we're going to talk about this first, was that. You know, despite the injury to Aaron Rodgers, the New York Jets still beat the Buffalo Bills. So that's one I thought I thought that was like like a lock. But uh, uh, let's start with that. Can this Jets defense carry this team continually? I mean, look, they they played really well. The, the defense and the special teams played great. Can they continue to do that, or was this just a case in Week One of the Buffalo Bills and Josh Allen? just being inconsistent and not ready to play? Well, first off, I'll say, yeah, four and three week on your show. We went four and one, both of us, on the Sunday card, which was great, and hit a couple of other ones. So that was was really good. Again, I encourage everybody to listen to it. We got some good stuff over there, me and my my buddy Matty uh, doing stuff. As far as your uh, assessment about the Jets, can they keep it going? First off, I would like to say, have we ever seen – a more hype situation 
with the offseason and the hard knocks mm. and the Jets <laughs> coming out and Aaron Rodgers with the American flag. I mean, it yeah. almost brought you to tears how <laughs> unbelievable it was if you were a Jets fan. Oh. And then if you're a fan of anybody else, it almost brought you to tears for plays into the game. Uh, some people maliciously and some people just uh, heart-wrenching. I mean, yeah. to me, do I feel bad for the Jet fans? Not really. I mean, <laughs> I'm not going to feel bad for them. But I do feel really bad for Aaron Rodgers, and I feel bad for his teammates because – to have that season and the hype around it and, and finally some hope and it just go down the drain yeah. in a matter of moments is just devastating. But what's even more just unbelievable is how poorly the Buffalo Bills played, yep. specifically Josh Allen. Yeah. I mean, I, I can't I can't begin to tell you like that was Everything that we have seen wrong from the Bills over the last couple of years to why they haven't been successful late in the season is because, once again, we have their quarterback being relied on far too much, him trying to impressing, and then, of course, just kind of feeding Stephon Diggs uh, and not really having any creativity offensively. So right. that was just ultimately ultimately the downfall of, of the bills and, and the way it ended was absolutely unbelievable with, <laughs> with, uh, with the punt return. That was, uh, yep. I mean, it got from like most jets thing ever right. to, wow, that was an incredible thing that the jets fans are going to remember forever and the emotions of all at all. So I, I do not, I'm not sure that the jets are going to be able to contend for a division or a playoff though. Now, Right. With Zach Wilson at the helm, Agreed. I think it's just going to be too much. Uh, dare I say that Josh Wilson, uh, Josh uh, Allen played like Zach Wilson? Yeah, I mean <laughs> Zach Wilson was the better quarterback uh, in the game, wasn't uh, he? Well, I, I guess, I guess, <laughs> I guess, I guess. <laughs> I guess. He didn't right. make the mistake. Yeah, all right, that's fair. You know, that's fair. Uh, all right. Well, so I I think we agree on that. I think I think the Jets caught a little lightning in a bottle, and the fact that uh, Josh Allen stunk. Uh, they I think they may crash down to earth very quickly when they play the Cowboys this week. By the way, I'm not having you pick that game this sure. week because there's really just no point. Uh, it, well, thank God. It wouldn't no. surprise me if Dallas does to the Jets what they did to the Giants. Uh, that's all I'm going to say. Uh, I, I I I would beg to differ a little with the defense, but I I think it might be a low scoring game. Yeah, but it may but not put I up forty. Think right, but, I think yeah. Dallas is going to be <laughs> Dallas is going to be Dallas going to be too tough for the Jets. Yeah. All right. Let, let's get to the Patriots game. And here's what amazed me. Look, the fact that the the way that game started and the moxie that the Patriots showed to get themselves back in that game impressed the hell out of me. I'll just I'll, I'll start with that. But I'm gonna I have to I have to say that I was maybe never more disappointed or shocked at some decisions that Bill Belichick made in this game than I have in his history of coaching with the New England Patriots. There were two times in this game I looked and I, at, at, at my wife, and who knows really nothing about football and couldn't care less, but I looked at her and said, what in the hell is he doing? And the, the the two times, you know what I'm talking about. One was, one was deciding yeah. not to go for the field goal, and the other one was late in the game. It's like fourth and 17, and he's going for it. And I'm like, I mean, it, yeah. it, they got lucky. But at the end of the day, what was he thinking? The fourth and 17 
that one really made no sense to me right. once they had the penalty. Right. Um, so, so I agree with you on that. I, I really thought that they could have pinned them down. Um, but the fourth and three, and, and here's my thought of it then, because that was before the fourth and 17, and the Patriots knew that they were capable of getting back down there, the fourth and three, I actually, in hindsight, did agree with it. Really? And the reason I'll tell you is okay. this. Yeah, I, I'll, I'll tell you why. Um, I do think that Belichick's response of, hey, there's not much field position to be gained here. Yes, we could kick a field goal, but we still need a touchdown to win, uh, to win this game, regardless of whether we kick it or not. Now, yeah, you could say, okay, but you're only down by five instead of down by eight. Right. But, again, he didn't know that he was going to be down there again. That offense, you look at that offense, I mean, that offense struggled in the second half. It really did. And, you know, they scored one touchdown. I I don't think it was, like, all-world impressive. But the fact they were able to get down there and and do what they do on on that fourth down, I thought that they needed to get a big momentum play and keep it going, and they needed to score there. Yep. Now, obviously, they got the ball back down 11 and then got it back to 8 and then eventually to 5. So, so you know, in hindsight, we can look at that and say, well, Monday morning quarterback on that one. Right. But well, I, to I, me, I, I thought that the situations were much more nuanced than I think people gave them credit. Okay. Well, you're, you're, that's why I have you on, because I was losing my mind, and I wasn't Monday morning quarterback, and I was, I was losing my mind when it happened. So – uh, so that's why. Yeah, that's, yeah, absolutely. That's why the I have you on. Fourth and seventeen, Gene. Yeah, the fourth and seventeen. Again, like I said, I don't think there's any reason really to go for it there. Yep. Just because of the penalty. Yep. Maybe a fourth and twelve because you need it, but the fourth and seventeen, uh, you, you had to kind of live to fight another day. How um, a lot of people saying, uh, "Look, uh, Mac Jones uh, proved himself this week," and again, we can't get too carried away with week one, but. You've got to be, you've got to be somewhat encouraged with the confidence that he seemed to show in this game, though. No? I was encouraged with the confidence that he played with after he had a poor start. Start. Well, yeah, right. Obviously, yes. to me, look, I know we want to help, uh, you know, put a heaping pile of of you know what onto Bill Belichick and some of his decision making, and I, I think some of it is definitely fair. Right, But to me, I think we're underselling that Mac Jones was the one that got this team in the hole. Like, Mac Jones threw a terrible That's fair. interception That's fair. to start that game. Yeah, okay. Uh, you want to talk about weather? Fine. That's, it is what it is. Zeke Elliott fumbling. Right. Uh, he did not play well in the first quarter. And as great as he was from the second and third quarter mm-hmm. and even deep into the fourth quarter, he was excellent. The 11 passes in a row, he was on fire. Once again, we get into this situation where the New England Patriots have a great effort in a comeback game, but ultimately fall short. And with the in the would have won that game in that situation. Mac Jones once again failed, and this has happened just far too many times. In fact, Gene, there's a stat that came out this week. In games in which the other team scores 25 points, Mac Jones is 0-12 in his career. Mm-hmm. I mean, that just can't happen. And, and I get it. He had a valiant effort. But if Mac Jones, if all Mac Jones is, is a guy that can give you a valiant effort and performance and be a supercomputer and have that great brain but ultimately come up short, then he's not the franchise quarterback for the New England Patriots. Right. 
He's not. Okay. And to me, I think if we don't know the answer to that question by three quarters of the way through this season, yeah. then I think there's serious consideration there where the draft is in play to get another quarterback. So we're, we're, we're almost looking at another, uh, well, bringing the Jets back into play, we're almost looking at another Zach Wilson situation where you, you draft a guy high, you think he's your guy, and, and you, you realize you made a mistake. Well, you know, I think he was the best option of that draft outside of Trevor Lawrence. Right. I think that's clear. Yeah, and he weren't, they weren't getting but, Trevor Lawrence, so right. Right, and they weren't getting him. So so to me, I don't fault them for making the decision. He fell to them yep. fine. Yep. But at the end of the day, is he better than someone that you could take second or third overall in the draft and make a trade up? That's the question they have to, to answer. And Mac Jones has to answer the bell in the fourth quarter. I yeah. love Mac Jones. I think he's a really good quarterback. But you know who also is like a pretty similar quarterback that actually wins games? A guy that was already in the building, Jimmy Garoppolo. <laughs> and he did it again on Sunday. Right. So is Mac Jones that different than Jimmy Garoppolo, except for the fact that Jimmy wins and he doesn't? I- I'm not sure right. at this point. But I think Mac has all the ability and the talent, and he's a- an unbelievable supercomputer of a brain. Right. But – you have to prove it when the, when it matters most. The other thing that uh, one of the last things I want to talk about is uh, I the thing I was impressed with the most was the way that the offensive line uh, stepped up. I mean, these were five guys that hadn't even played together. Unreal. They hadn't even played together in the in practice or in the preseason. First time they'd ever played together, and yeah. they were ridiculous. Oh my gosh! I mean, to have a lot of it was scheme oriented, the quick passes and all that stuff. Right. But to have Mac only gets sacked twice, and really, it only came in the fourth quarter. Right. Uh, and you've got the two rookie guards. I mean, that was unbelievable. And Calvin Anderson starting his first game. I mean, that was impressive. And I think a lot of credit's got to go to Adrian Clem, the new offensive line coach. I think that was super impressive. I thought the other impressive part to the game, too, Gene, though, do you notice that the Patriots' defense is so much faster? Oh, my so God. So much yeah. faster than it yeah. has been in in, in – in, in recent years, yep. where we've always talked about they've always gone big instead of speed yep. to, to, to play more physical. Now they have speed and physicality with some of these, like, uh, line, the, I mean, the hit by Jabril Peppers on Jalen Hurts Oof, was yeah. awesome. I yeah. mean, that was just, it got you right off your chair and screaming. I mean, that was awesome. So I, I love that they're physical, but I love that they have speed now, and I think that's going to benefit them in this next game against Miami. Um, better. So I, I like. Oh <laughs> well, yeah, it's it definitely better. But I, I, I was really encouraged more by that than anything else. And Gonzalez and White, man. I mean, those two rookies. I think they did more than any of the other rookies on the on the field. That they were incredible how right. they how they played in their first. Yeah, and now of course you you know we're going to go back to this week, and you know we still have a lot of linemen that are banged up, and and Sal now has a concussion. Uh, Trent Brown is dealing with a concussion. Uh, we don't even know, yeah. you know, we don't know who's going to be available this week, which is a little bit frightening when you think about it. With that uh, that Dolphin defense could give them a lot of trouble. Uh, they could be suiting up me. I, I, Andrews with the hamstring and, yeah. and Gene. I mean, if they see, you know, I don't. I don't think I could watch the game if they stood up you just for your safety alone. I couldn't watch. <laughs> but, cover your uh, eyes. <laughs> yeah, but Andrews with the hamstring. The yep. rookies that are injured. Yep. I mean, Trent Brown. I mean, I think every single starting lineman on the Patriots is, is on the injury report this they week. They are. So, yeah, they are. Yep. Yep. I, I don't know how they're going to juggle that, but they better figure it out soon. 
All right, uh, before we get to, to having you do the picks for this week, um, uh, I want to talk about a couple other things. Um, one of the most disgusting games of the day, it was close, but, man, how bad was Tennessee? I mean, Ryan, uh, well, I mean, can Ryan Tannehill be any – look, and let's not get too carried away. I mean, you know, great, Derek Carr won his first start with the New Orleans Saints, but nobody's you know writing his Hall of Fame plaque based on what we saw last Sunday. I mean, that was really kind of an ugly game. It was, a, it was a, like, who's going to screw this one up first? Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, you know, it was like Tana over the hill and, yeah. <laughs> and drive the car off the bridge. I right. mean, that's really what it was. I mean, yeah. Between the two of them. Red zone, red zone interceptions, too. Right. I mean, just horrific. Just horrific. And no offense to speak of. Yeah, that was that was just ugly. I, I don't even know what more to say about that game is that you get a 16-15 winner. Typically, that's, that's a pretty ugly game. So, I think both teams just throw that game out. Uh, I, I don't think it really matters. The Titans continue to force feed Hopkins because they don't have any talent around uh, in the in the receiving game, and that leads to turnovers. And then Carr was okay, but again, right. you know, I think this explosiveness that we were expecting out of Derek Carr didn't see it. Uh, Derek Carr's not really a great downfield passer; right. he's just not. And you know, they're going to need they're going to need more from from throwing it short and getting guys out in open space if they're going to win. Well, and, you know, and that, the, the Las Vegas-Denver game was kind of a similar kind of game, right? I mean, neither one of those teams, right. you know, is, is anything to write home about. But I want to talk about the two biggest surprises to me of last week. I'm, I'm sure the two biggest surprises for most people. Uh, number one, the fact that the San Francisco 49ers pounded the Pittsburgh Steelers the way they did, I never saw mm. that coming. I thought that would at least be – you know, I mean, San Francisco was favored by just, what, a couple of points. I thought that was going to be a, a, a decent game. Matter of fact, you picked Pittsburgh in that one. Um, I, guess yeah. if any, I guess if anybody was worried about Brock Purdy, uh, I guess you don't have to worry, but it doesn't hurt with the weapons he's got around him. But uh, if you're a San Francisco 49er fan, you're doing cartwheels this week. Oh, my gosh, yeah. I mean, I, I had Pittsburgh in the game. Yeah. And I, I, I guess I missed that one, so – uh, pretty bad too. If you're going to miss this big, I guess. Um, but I thought McCaffrey was just showed how outstanding he was mm-hmm. in the game. I mean, uh, he was on display. Brandon Ayuk had a great game yep. uh, with a couple of touchdowns. So their offense was humming. That's what I was concerned about. TJ Watt actually had three sacks in the game, but it didn't matter. Right. I mean, totally didn't matter. They were just super efficient. I uh, I think Purdy threw less than 30 passes. He completed 19 of them. I mean. He was very efficient. The running game was efficient. The defense, I mean, God bless it. I mean, poor Kenny Pickett. And all the receivers, the receivers were getting hammered. I mean, especially guys like Fryermuth. I mean, the kid Hufanga, who was an all-pro team, all-pro safety last year, continues to just kill people. I mean, he is Troy Palomalo reincarnated. <laughs> and in case the yeah. Steelers forgot what Troy Palomalo used to play like, right. that's there him on go. the other side yeah. of the field. I mean, he's so good. Um, and then Bose, obviously, coming back was huge. So, yeah, San Francisco looks all the powerhouse. I think they look better than any team on Sunday. They, they were the best-looking team I saw. Yeah, and, you know, you look at this game, and, like, Debo Samuel really wasn't much of a factor in this game. I mean, this was this was the uh, – this was Ayuk this was and McCaffrey show. And, you know, and I wonder if there's something to be said for the fact that, you know, McCaffrey starting the season with San Francisco. I mean, he had to kind of uh, uh, get himself acclimated when he was there last year, and maybe there's a, a new comfort level with him. And uh, if that's the case, uh, everybody that plays San Francisco better be very, very worried this year no question about it and McCaffrey you know McCaffrey learned that whole offense from before Jimmy Garoppolo got hurt 
was Brock Purdy because Brock Purdy was the one that was staying after practice with him, teaching him the offense. Ah, good and point. McCaffrey even said it. he said he was said he was so impressed with the kid that he actually had the playbook down. Little did he know he was going to be playing with him later that year. Um, the other game that really surprised me, and maybe maybe it shouldn't, but the the game that surprised me was the Rams absolutely thumping the Seahawks. Yeah. I never saw that coming. I mean, Matthew Stafford was, was you know, look, he threw for 300-and-something yards, but uh, the fact that Geno Smith was just looked lost out there. Yeah, yeah, he did. In fact, uh, we never got to this game, I don't think. No, but, we didn't. But I actually was on the on the Rams, and so was Matty. Were you? Uh, we really liked we really liked them because we thought it was a little bit of a of a, a buy low sell high opportunity for for the Rams because I thought McVay and Raheem Morris really knew what Seattle wanted to do offensively, and they had a great scheme going. The no name defense of the Rams we can't name anybody but Aaron Donald, but Aaron Donald I guess was enough because he was just causing so much havoc uh, interiorly on that defense on that offensive line for Seattle. They really had a hard time gathering him uh and Stafford couldn't miss I mean Stafford right. was Stafford had some throws where his receivers were really covered and and he just fit them into a keyhole I mean it was right. it was incredible what he was able to do and how about those two young receivers huh right Puka Nakua yep, and Nakua. Tutu yep. Atwell yep. Un- unbelievable yep. from them so you gotta love that you're encouraged if you're a Rams fan to say hey maybe we're not that bad after all but Seattle needs to get back to passing the football. They were okay in the first half, but the second half, they just completely died out. I don't know what happened to them. Uh, yeah, Seattle's going to need a bounce-back week this week. That was a little bit of a surprise, but we were actually on the Rams for that. I mean, the Rams held Seattle to less than 200 yards of offense in that game. That was That's incredible. Uh, unbelievable. Uh, the other side of the coin, last game I want to talk to from about last week was the most exciting game of the week, and that was that, uh, that Charger-Miami game. I mean, oh, we got to get to this game. Oh, I mean, boy, do I have something for this. I, I mean, you know, and look, uh, you know, uh, <laughs> we've had we've had our talks about Tua and about how you know that you know basically you could have a robot out there throwing it when you've got those receivers that he's got. But he made a throw last week, Dan. That I don't care who you are. I mean, that one that he threw uh, into the back corner of the end, the right hand corner of the end zone. He dropped that thing on a dime with a receiver all over. Uh, the receiver, I think it was uh, Tyreek Hill. I mean, that was a hell of yeah. a throw. I don't care who you are. Yeah, it was great. I mean, Tua played really well last week. Um, obviously, I mean, it was one of his better performances. There's no question about it. Uh, Gene, I-, I don't know what to tell you. I mean, <laughs> Brandon Staley yep. might be the worst coach in professional football. I, I think he's right, right up now. there. He's right up there. I, I mean, <laughs> this guy is supposed to be the Albert Einstein of defense. That's what everyone in the analytical community has pinned him as. This man left Tyreek Hill on one-on-one coverage the entire game. Yeah, I mean, the entire – they acted – it was unbelievable. They acted like this was some JV player. Right. Like this is like, you know, we're playing somebody from 1952. <laughs> Tyreek Hill. Right. Tyreek Hill, the fastest – most dangerous weapon, and you just watch him go by you time after time after time and just score, and it it boggled my mind. Yeah. On top of the fact that they were missing their starting left tackle to Ron Armstead. Right. And what happened? Tua was clean. He never got to him. Right. I mean, what are we doing here? The pressure. <laughs> I mean, if you want to see a if you want to see how bad the Chargers are, watch the Patriot Dolphin game this week. 
and watch what the Patriots actually employ defensively. Right. And it's night and day. Right. It's night and day. And then, of course, old joystick over there, Kellen Moore, <laughs> at the end of the game, they score 34 uh, points. Yeah. And then at the end of the game, oh, my gosh, we get a 10-yard 10 10-yard yard, uh, completion. Then we have a penalty. Then we get two sacks back-to-back. Uh, just throwing up play calls like like it was. That's what I'm talking about when you sequence the game as an offensive coordinator. You can handle those moments. Right. Kellen Moore just doesn't do that. And as good of an offensive output yardage wise and points wise, at the end of the day in crunch time, he completely drools and throws throws up all over himself <laughs> when he's calling plays. That's the Chargers. That's what they will be. And that's why I picked them not to go to the playoffs because they're a soft, not smart in the fourth quarter football team. Yeah, well, and if and if Staley is the uh, defensive Albert Einstein, his formula does not compute because he gave up uh, 536 yards to the Dolphins last week. That is just, that's mind- 16 yards a throw, Gene. Mind-boggling. 16 yards a throw. That is disgusting. <laughs> yeah, it's not good. It's not good. All right, let's get to our games for this week. Uh, we'll start off... Um, with uh, a, a a team that needs a bounce back, the Cincinnati Bengals. We didn't even talk about that game with Cleveland last week because that was another really surprising result. But the Cincinnati yeah. Bengals um, are are at home. They're favored, despite that. Uh, despite last week, they're favored by three points uh, against the Baltimore Ravens. Yeah, I think this is going to be a fun game. I think I think it'll be much more entertaining. I think the weather had a lot to do with last week uh, for both of those games. Uh, Cleveland, or excuse me, Cincinnati and Baltimore, mm-hmm. their offenses really weren't able to get going. Um, I'll say this: we talked about this. Cincinnati typically has slow starts in, in the season, um, and Baltimore's typically ready to go. And you saw that last week. But I'll say this too: I mean, Baltimore, Baltimore got outgained by Houston in right. the game. Houston, right. Houston had more yards. I thought Houston's defense gave a blueprint formula, and I think there's just no way possible that Joe Burrow throws up 82 yards again. To me, I thought it had more to do with just the Browns are Joe Burrow's kryptonite. I think that's a, a major factor. I think they'll definitely bounce back. They'll learn from this. Uh, I do think he's healthy. I don't think it's a structural issue. I think it's more to do with the Browns than anything else. Mm-hmm. I like the Bengals to win this game uh, in a bounce-back spot. Well, and, you know, the other part of that, too, is that uh, Baltimore is going to be without Dobbins now as well. So that uh, that does not Dobbins ha- is out. Right. Uh, maybe a couple of linemen. And then Marcus Williams, the safety, sounds like he's going to be out as well. So Baltimore dealing with a lot of injuries. All right. Uh, a game that is not exactly sexy, but uh, I am, I'm curious to get your take on this one. Uh, at Tampa, Chicago at Tampa. Uh, Tampa two mm. two and a half point favorite. Uh, There's still the after week one. We're still asking the same questions about Fields that we were asking prior to the season starting. Uh, and then the question is, Baker Mayfield can he uh, just continue to manage a game? And he did a pretty good job of that last week. Uh, and uh, get Tampa to two and zero. Oh. Yeah, he did. And again, that's another one. We were on Tampa um, and we had that, so that was great. And we were also on Green Bay, so we got that one right as well with Chicago. Uh, but this week it's a little different. I think um, I think Tampa kind of, you know, right out of the gates, they get an upset, they go on the road. I think they're going to come home now. And I think now there's tape on them. And, and Chicago, I think Chicago just needed to get going a little bit. Now, Chicago's offensive line is a major issue. There's no question about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're, they're a little bit of Swiss cheese. 
Um, and we know the Packers like, like cheese, so right. that's good. <laughs> but uh, but uh, Chicago, I think, to them come down, they'll go down to Tampa, a warm environment, although it sounds like it's going to be pretty wet in the game. Yep. So I think that'll help the run game and, and, and them going to do that. I think Tampa really, that was kind of a one-off. I don't think Baker played particularly well. I think, I think he already managed the game. I thought the Vikings kind of gave it away. Uh, I'm going to take the Bears this week. I think that um, Fields is going to have uh, an opportunity to run around and do a lot of things, um, and I think their run game will, will, will stand pat in, in kind of a wet game. Um, but I think it'll be low scoring, and I think the Bears will come out on top eventually and, and get a win under their belt. Against the Tampa team is really not that good, but does have some firepower when it comes when it comes to receivers and, and maybe some defensive players, but I think Baker's going to struggle uh, a little bit here. Uh, another 1 o'clock game, Kansas City traveling down to Florida as well. They are a three-and-a-half point favorite at Jacksonville. And obviously the Chiefs don't want to go 0 and 2. Well, I think uh, I think you're if you have a bounce back spot of the week, I mean this has to be it, right? Yep. I mean the Chiefs again, another team that kind of gave a game away. How many bounces of the ball went the Lions' way? Uh, looking at you, Kadarius Tony, playing beach <laughs> volleyball out there. Um, but uh, but to me, I think Jacksonville played well, not great but they played well enough to win the game against Indianapolis. I think they're still uh, getting some wrinkles out of there. I think the defense of Kansas City is going to win in this game. I think Kansas City's defense is very impressive against Detroit. Uh, getting Chris Jones back is going to be huge. they got no tape on him, so that's going to be a big factor. And, and I think Mahomes, if Kelsey can get back this week, which I think he can. I don't know the reports yet. I haven't seen whether he's going to play or not. But if Kelsey comes back this week, that's going to open up a whole new possibilities for them. I think Kansas City will bounce back in a major way, and uh, and they'll get a victory on Sunday. Um, all right, let's uh, let's uh, go to Detroit now. Seattle is at Detroit. The, the Lions are a four and a half point favorite. Obviously, Seattle also a team looking for a bounce back. And Detroit has had some extra time off after that Thursday game. Uh, obviously, riding a bit of a high. Uh, again, you know, I we still have to temper some of that excitement over that Kansas City win because of who Kansas City was missing, right? But, but uh, can they go to two and zero and and keep the hype train going that seems to be going around the NFL about the Detroit Lions this year? I mean, I don't think there's a more hype over and lost one. These teams are really similar. I mean, really similar. Both have young, good, decent defenses. And they both have passing attacks. I mean, I know Seattle didn't look good last week, but you got to remember they were playing a divisional opponent. Sean McVay has been really good against Pete Carroll. And I think Detroit, like I just said, I mean, I think they got better of a defense than Seattle does. So I think Seattle will bounce back here. And Seattle coming off a home loss, too, typically really good. And with Detroit, with all that time off, they've had enough people – scratching their back and rubbing their belly. So <laughs> I think it's time for a little dose of reality. Uh, I think Seattle comes back. I think Seattle wins on a fast track. It should be a really high-scoring game. Okay. All right. Uh, the 4 o'clock game, San Francisco at the Rams. Uh, two teams that uh, put up some points last week. San Francisco is a seven-and-a-half-point favorite at L.A. Yeah. Uh, again, like I said, I, I, it's the kind of same thing as last week. Look, Kyle Shanahan has owned. 
Steve against the spread. He's ten and three against him. Yep. Uh, however, the Rams have been pretty good in September. They, they're really good. In fact, McVay's one of the best coaches in the league, getting his team to win early and often. As Sunday, I think this game will be close, uh, closer than the seven and a half. But I just don't see the Rams winning this game. I, I, I just think there's too much to overcome, especially defensively. Um, I, I think the Rams are going to really struggle with that D line. They didn't really have to deal with a lot from from Seattle last week. I, I think the Rams, uh, the 49ers, present a much more difficult challenge, and and these these rookie receivers are going to see are going to see a lot more pressure as well from from San Francisco's secondary. So I think Purdy can keep it upright for a little bit. I think it'll be close, closer. But uh, I think Stafford's going to have to do a lot to win this game. I just don't see him being able to do it. I'm going to take the Niners. Sunday night, Miami at New England. The Dolphins are a three-point favorite. And, you know, we've already talked about uh, what Miami did last week. But one thing we didn't talk about is the fact that Miami gave up well over 200 yards on the ground. Do the Patriots, if they're going to win this game, I mean, is this going to have to be the Ramondre Stevenson and Zeke Elliott show? Uh, I don't think so. No? I don't think so. I think they. I think they can throw the football in this game. Okay. I really do. I think they're. I, I think they have an opportunity to do that. I know the Vic Fangio style and system is going to be interesting. I mean, Mike McDaniel really talked about it today uh, on how he deals with Belichick. He uh, he was, he was basically stroking Belichick today at his press conference, <laughs> saying that he was in he was in awe of of how amazing the the defensive structure is. So I think that's where the game lies. I mean, I really do. I don't think this is going to be that high scoring of a game. Okay. Uh, I think the Patriots defense is going to hang with Tyreek Hill and, 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 and company. And let me tell you something, Gene, the best cornerback in the league since Tyreek Hill has been in this league is Jonathan Jones. Okay. Jonathan Jones <clears throat> has been outstanding against Tyreek Hill uh, against Tyreek Hill. It's kind of a nerd step, but here you go. Against Tyreek Hill, when quarterbacks target Tyreek Hill and they and Jonathan Jones is covering him, those quarterbacks have a 35 quarterback rating. Whoa, 35. That's awful. That's real bad. Yeah. Um, and Jonathan Jones has been really good against Tyreek Hill. I thought the Patriots last year in the opening game against Miami, again, another thing where they made some mistakes. The question is, can Mac Jones limit those mistakes? That's the question here. The Patriots have to go out and win a game close. By the way, Gene, mm-hmm. if they lose, not only will they go 0-2, and, and remember how we feel about 0-2 teams, 0-2 teams making the playoffs, 0-2 teams make the playoffs 11% of the time. 1-1 one one teams that were 0-1 in week one make the playoffs 42% of the time. Okay. So this is, this is really important wow. for them. Not, o- not only would the Patriots go 0-2, but they'd go 0-2 at home. Right. So that would be really, really tough. To come back from that, I think the sense of urgency is there. I think it's squish the fish in the throwback oh, uniform. Oh. I'm going to take the Patriots as our upset of the week. Okay, give me New England uh, to win this game. Low scoring. I think it's going to be probably around. <laughs> I'll give it. Uh, I'll give it 26-24. Patriots pull it out. Okay. Uh, wow, I didn't see that coming. Um, Last game, Cleveland at Pittsburgh. Uh, another one uh, where the Pittsburgh Steelers need to bounce back. And if your stat is to be believed, then they can't afford to go 0-2. And the Cleveland Browns are two-and-a-half-point favorites coming into Pittsburgh. That line, to me, makes zero sense. I know Pittsburgh struggled, but are you kidding me? I, 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 can't, I can't see this. 
Well, Gene, the, the most profitable underdog coach is, is Mike Tomlin. I oh. mean, he's been the best yep. uh, as an underdog. He's incredible, He's and especially in the division, he's even better than his normal record. Um, I think this game's going to be close. Uh, to me, I do think that there are some really good things that Cleveland did, though, in that game against Cincinnati. Uh, I do wonder if Pittsburgh's going to be able to handle the pass rush. I do wonder if Pittsburgh's going to be able to handle the run game. Are the two best things. Nobody had a better offensive line in the preseason than Cleveland did. Mm-hmm. I, I've watched Cleveland multiple times in the preseason, and they did it again on, on Sunday against the Bengals. They had over 100 yards rushing for Chubb again. So I love Pittsburgh. I've loved Pittsburgh for, for most of the preseason. Um, but from what I see right now, Cleveland really looks good, and I think this could be a huge statement win for them. I might be going against my instincts here, but – uh, I'm going to go a little bit. I'm going to take the Cleveland Browns. Wow. I, I think they're going to win. I think that's. I think that's going to be a major, major wake up call to the league and say, "Wow, this team's really well coached. They have a really good defensive front, really good offensive line. The quarterback's not making mistakes. I think they're really they're going to have to get after him. And T.J. Watt can do that. I know that. So can Highsmith. But I think the Steelers might be a little vulnerable in the back end. And interiorly, without Cam Hayward in there now, I mean, that's a big blow to the Steelers' D-line. So I'm going to reluctantly take the Browns. I don't love it, mm. but I'll take the Browns to win. Interesting. Uh, what did you think of the play of Deshaun Watson last week? I mean, he uh, uh, did he look more like the Deshaun Watson of old? Um, I, I don't think so. I mean, they put up three points for most of that game and then finally got it going in the second half. Right. So, it wasn't a great game. It was the weather and all that stuff. I mean, it's hard to tell. I think we need a couple of weeks before we can really assess Watson and where he's at. Okay. All right. Before I let you go, I have to ask, um, I just want to get your take on the hype in college football around Deion Sanders and Colorado. Is How, exci- how excited should we be? about Colorado. I mean, we, we, you know, I mean, look, that first week win was a statement win to me. I wasn't shocked they won last week. I, I mean, I, I expect them that they're going to roll Colorado State this week badly. Uh, but, but how good do you think that Colorado team really is? I, I, I am done doubting Deion Sanders. I've never doubted Deion Sanders. I, I think he's, they're as good as he takes them. You know, I mean, if they believe in him, and that's really the key to this all is belief, uh, they could beat anybody if they want to. I mean, they've got the talent. That Shador Sanders looks great. The Hunter kid is unbelievable. I mean, this is a legit threat in the Pac-12, in my opinion. And there are some great quarterbacks in the Pac-12. I mean, we go we go from Michael Penix up in Washington. We've got Caleb Williams at USC. Uh, UCLA always does some interesting stuff. Bo Nix up at Oregon. I mean, there there's some good, really good. Washington State looks really good. This is a really good conference, but they have something I think that some of the other teams don't. I think that's the swagger. Okay. Uh, to me, it's 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 all built on the swagger of their coach. I, I do not doubt what Deion said. I told you before the season, I think they could be a winning team. I don't know about playoffs. I think that's a little far-fetched, but next year when, when they go to the Big 12 and, right. and, and, and the playoff gets open to 12 teams, don't be surprised if Colorado's making a deep run. I think they could be a really, really good Really, I mean, look at what they're doing now. Do you don't think that's going to attract recruits to go there? Oh, no, I question. Mean, no I question. I think it's one hundred percent. They can be, they can be outstanding. 
so I, I'm a huge fan of, of Sanders and what he does. I think he's great. And and did you feel the earth shake, by the way, last Saturday night when uh, Bama lost to Texas? I, I could feel it. Oh, my gosh. I could, I mean, I could, I could feel it from here. <laughs> how about how about Quinn Ewers, man? I mean, wow. he was incredible. Yeah. That's another quarterback. What The year of the quarterback in college football, I mean, we're going to have 16 quarterbacks coming out in the draft. I mean, it's uh, there's some – Good point. We didn't even mention the two. I mentioned Williams, but Drake May at North Carolina, yep. unbelievable how good he looks. So the kid at Penn State, Aller, I mean, he's going to be a really good player when when he gets a couple under his belt. You watch him, McCarthy at Michigan. I mean, there's there's so many good quarterbacks really here, and and unfortunately, Alabama doesn't have one. No, no. no that's um, true. Yeah, they don't have one. So I, I, we'll see how much Nick can can squeeze out of this team, but. Yeah, it's going to be a great year for quarterbacks if you're a quarterback lover in this in this uh, in this college football season. You know, I just I just I had to get your take on Dion because it's just you know watching him you know on the sidelines with the the the, the shades and the cowboy hat and I'm just <laughs> you know you want to it's like a, Bum Phillips yes right? it's like Bum well, Phillips I'm, reincarnated a much, you know? a much skinnier Bum Phillips but it may yeah it, <laughs> it makes you know you look at him and it makes you want to laugh but then you watch the way his kids play and you go. My God, this guy really does have something. You know, he really does. You know, yeah. I I wanted to say that you know when he was you know you know in in the other league that that it was just that he was the, they were the best of a a so so bunch. But boy, why, the way he cleaned house in Colorado, and the way that they have started this season, I don't think I I don't think I thought they would be as dominant as they have been. So I've just I've been well, shocked. He's he. I think he most exemplifies the Socratic method. Know thyself, right? Yeah. I mean, he knows who he is, and he's not going to apologize no, for it. No, he doesn't. And I think that's all you can ask. <laughs> yeah. No, he does not. In <laughs> fact, he he will unapologize for it. <laughs> right. I mean, he's he's uh, he's just who he is, and and you know, I think there's an authenticity about him. It might rub some people the wrong way. I.e., this Colorado State coach who had some comments today, and oh. I feel bad. I feel bad for I, that program now that they're about to get yeah. beaten up by eighty thousand <laughs> points. That but, was nuts. Um, yeah, that was crazy. <laughs> what are you so, thinking? Um, yeah, he is who he is, though, right? I yeah. mean, and that's why people love him. Well, Dan, uh, thanks for a few minutes here this morning. By the way, happy birthday to our uh, our favorite NFL guy, and uh, enjoy your dinner tonight. And uh, we will look forward to having you uh, on the show again next week. Can't wait, Gene. It's always fun. We're rocking and rolling in the middle of the season. Let's get on to week two. And I, I pray to God, I, I'm going to be losing it when they come out in those candy reds the Patriots do and, and, and hopefully go squish the fish on Sunday night. So. <laughs> Dan Zapano here on Sports Country Radio. That is going to do it for us here this morning. We'll be back on Monday with another edition of the Wake Up Call, give you the breakdown on uh, the NFL games over the weekend, see if the Red Sox can win a couple of games down in Texas, stay ahead of the Yankees, although that seems to be a bit far-fetched, but we shall see. I hope you all have a great weekend. We leave you this morning. Some more music from Jimmy Buffett, uh, who recently passed away. I just, uh, I'm just uh, i on the Jimmy Buffett jag lately. So uh, here's uh, one from one of his later albums. It's called Donna Lottie Da. We will see you on Monday. Monday, you've been listening to the Wake Up Call on Sports Country.